KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Welcome back to another episode of listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. Jordan Peele's Us has been killing it at the box office, and it's been stirring a lot of discussion about what it all means. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But to get us started, here's the trailer. You know how sometimes things line up? Coincidences? Since we've been up here, they've been happening more and more. It's like there's this black cloud hanging over us. There's a family in our driveway. Who is that? Run. Us serves up a very different kind of horror from Peele's debut feature, Get Out, but it's scary good in its own way. So today, I'm going to try and peel back some layers of Us with UC Riverside professor John Jennings. But fair warning, there's spoilers ahead. That's right. You've had more than a week to get to a theater to check out this eagerly anticipated film. And because it's nearly impossible to talk about without revealing something that should be kept secret, I'm doing this podcast just for those of us who've seen the film and are dying to discuss what it all means with somebody else. Peel had his cast members watch 10 films in preparation for making us. Dead Again, The Shining, The Babadook, It Follows, A Tale of Two Sisters, The Birds, Funny Games, Martyrs, Let the Right One In, and The Sixth Sense. And just to lay a little more groundwork for the discussion I'm going to have with John Jennings, here's an interview with Jordan Peele from the Universal Studios press kit for us. I tend to draw inspiration from my own fear. I, I, at some point I ask myself, what's the scariest thing for me personally? And uh, in this case, it was the idea of seeing myself. Then I think about what that's about. Why is seeing yourself so scary? I think no one really wants to look at their faults, their guilt, their demons. Um, we all want to look elsewhere. This country and, and how uh, this country looks at the world, has, we, we have a fear of the outsider, a fear of everything from terrorism to um, immigration you know, the very thing this country is founded on. And the, the thing that we do not face often enough is um, our part in uh, what's wrong with the world.
John, I had you on my podcast recently talking about your collective called Scary Black Folks. And we discussed a little bit about Jordan Peele's Get Out and his upcoming film Us. But now Us has hit theaters. People have had a week to see it. And there's so many layers to it that I wanted to come back to you so that we could talk about it spoiler rich and kind of try to peel back a few of these layers. So just to start off, uh, kind of what was your kind of gut reaction to it? What's your kind of uh, capsule review? Oh, after I'd seen it, you know, um, I, and I saw it like um, the Thursday, I saw it on the release date. You know, I was, I had this really kind of visceral reaction to it. Yeah, I think once the reveal of the switch, so to speak, happened, that was the thing that really just kind of took my legs out. You know, I didn't really see it coming. I think I, I think I kind of thought about it for a second because there's some clues. If you go back through it, there are, I think, clues about, like, things being off kilter with Red and Adelaide. But, yeah, I think the, hor- the horrific thing for me is, number one, you took away our protagonist because now you're like, whoa, what does that mean? I'm like, she's a bad person or is she bad? You know, it's, so that's the thing. It's like there really isn't a cut a clear-cut person to root for. And I think that's why people have had such strong reactions to that. It's like the protagonist is taken from you and then switched up on you. And then automatically you're you're supposed to feel for the person who has been the antagonist, who's trying to get her life back to a certain degree. And so that was actually a really interesting kind of psychological play. And I just instantly felt horrible uh, for Adelaide being chained to that bed as a little girl. That also kind of indicates that perhaps the shadows, the tethers, actually discovered that they can actually control their counterparts up top, which I thought was actually a really interesting reveal as well. So overall, I think, like, you know, he's definitely grown as a um, as a storyteller and a filmmaker. I mean, he took $20 million and turned it into this kind of extravagant. It was only a $20 million movie, the way it was put together. Some people have some issues with pacing. I didn't really have that much have many issues with pacing. But I think overall, I was, like, kind of blown away by it. I thought it was a really... It was definitely a step in this really expansive direction because he really could have like told a more intimate story, like he did with Get Out and had it more about this family and have and actually talk about race and like double consciousness theory. That's a really easy, that's a gimme for like you know Du Bois and double consciousness around race. But to actually have this really broader discussion about you know class or the haves and the have-nots or the inner demons that we kind of like struggle with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, that actually I think is a far more expansive way to look at what horror is really good at doing. That was my initial thing. <laughs> I know. See, just an, al- an initial reaction, and you've got, like, all these different oh, layers to it. Oh, I was on it. fire. My head was on fire because <laughs> I knew that he was going to come with, like, some kind of crazy, like, you know, people forget, you know, or maybe they don't. He's a comedian, too. Right. So it's like the punchline, right? Uh, the idea of horror and comedy are very, very co- closely connected. Yeah. And so, when I, you know, when you go back through and you look at Key and Peele's uh, comedy they they deal with the uncanny a lot actually. They deal with these really outlandish notions. They push it. They're always pushing you know to these other things, and so even from you know it, it's it's about the one-upmanship in those particular things. So like, what is the next level? Like he kind of leveled up as far as like even even just the lighting in the film, the choosing of of, of these of these beautiful darkly melanated family of a darkly melanated family, <laughs> and how you light those people beautifully. You know, I'm looking like all the terror. I'm like, oh my God, Lupita looks amazing in this light. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like, <laughs> that's kind of the things I was kind of struggling with. Like, oh, this is a beautiful film, but oh, that's terrible. Why did that happen? You know, that kind of thing. Well, it was funny because I was feeling this connection to It Follows, and then I, I found out that it was the same cinematographer, and I'm going, that makes total oh. sense. Total oh. sense. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, It Follows is a really beautifully shot film, too. Yeah. yeah. Another really, like, another really disturbingly open-ended. I think the other thing, too, that people who didn't like us, because there are people who didn't like yeah. us, right? They want the closed ending. They want this kind of westernized notion of, like, oh, you know, we killed the bad guys and it's over with. I was like, no, no, it's just beginning, <laughs> actually, and we don't know what's about to happen, and that's that's the horror of it. So that's actually that's part of the terror. Yeah, and so I think it definitely functions as a really well-constructed very disturbing and beautiful horror film. For some people, if you go in thinking, like, this is the kickoff to Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone reboot, like, you're better prepared for where it goes, I think, than if you go into it going like, wow, I loved Get Out, and I hope he does another film like that. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, is, like, we are taught to be to consume media in a particular way like in this kind of like in, in the sequel written space that we that hollywood is now we're thinking like, oh okay well we, oh, i've been waiting for forever to see incredibles too right but you don't really want to be too different from the first Incredibles right. movie you know what i'm saying right <laughs> you know? and i'm like well no this is a very different type of film it's, a, it's get out as a horror movie in a particular way this is a different type of horror movie it's more psychological it's more it's more uh surreal actually, mm-hmm. so people coming in with story logic, like, oh, well, you know, where'd the clones come from? You know, and how, you know, why didn't they cook the rabbits? And, you know, it's all these, yeah. <laughs> like, people are trying to, rest, they're trying to wrestle with the, with the story, with the world building, and that's the other thing, too, is that we are living in a space where, like, we have these very intricate worlds, like Harry Potter and Star Wars and mm-hmm. Marvel, and, and, and you, and he's not coming at it from this particular standpoint. It really is about the messages and not necessarily about the minutiae of, like, you know, who cares where they came from? You got to deal with them. Right. You know what I'm saying? They're here now, and we don't, I don't necessarily care about, like, you know, how they how they eat rabbits every day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so these are, these are the things that people are coming up with. And I think that some people say, oh, you know what? This would be even a better series because you get the back, because people want that back matter, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any preconceived notions about the story. I say, okay, well, tell me a story. Let's see what happens. You know, and I have a very wide berth when it comes to, like, suspension of disbelief you know i'm a huge doctor who fan for god's sake you can't you know what I'm saying? so it's like you know you have to have like a really you know serious sense of uh, suspension of disbelief i'm not trying to figure the movie out either that's the other thing like some people like could come away like oh that wasn't that wasn't what i expected or you know i figured this movie out too soon or you know that's not what i would have done and so those types of critiques i'm like well you know you do you deal with what's on the screen you know mm-hmm. so when I was looking at this, I was like, well, this is a very layered, very interesting conversation about, you know, how otherness is constructed, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, for people, people are saying, like, well, you know, what's up with these clones? Can clones have kids? I was like, well, we never, they never said that they were clones. They call them tethers. They call them shadows, right? And that right. actually speaks to other more supernatural aspects that are, that are not necessarily connected to cloning, you know what I'm saying? Because how would they get out? Right. You know, so then you start like, well, if it's scientific, then what else, you, know, you start thinking about, well, how do these clones get made? And I was like, well, they didn't call themselves clones. They called themselves tethers or shadows. Shadows. You know, that's, the, that's, the, uh, that's the parlance that they were speaking. What's interesting to me, too, is that I, coming out of a preview screening, there were a number of people who were kind of like looking at it kind of strictly as a formula horror film in the sense if they're going like, oh, well, I figured out the twist halfway through the movie or... And it seems like even if I tell somebody what the twist is, I feel like that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what the film is really about. Right. I feel like the fact that you find out that the little girls were switched at the beginning right. is, and you don't discover this till the end, 
is almost as much a, a kind of a, a break with trust with your audience as when Alfred Hitchcock killed Janet Lee in the first 20 minutes. Because you kind of like you're you're thinking that this is the person that you're going to be empathizing with and identifying with all the way through till maybe yep. the end. And so yep. what he does here is he makes you empathize with this character. And at the very end, you find out she's the one who put the little girl in this underworld right. and made her suffer in her place. Yes. And then yeah. it's like, do I now switch allegiance? Yeah. And no, and it's difficult. that person's now dead. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And now, and you also, it's a very complex narrative. And I think, yeah, that's exactly what I felt like the rug was, was pulled off. Money. I mean, I was like, oh my God, no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a very difficult narrative. And it's like, that's what, that's why horror is such a really interesting genre to play around with. And I think that, again, people have forgotten what horror is because of the jump scares and the sequels and the blood and the gore. That's not horror. That's actually, those, that can be horror. But, you know, horror really is the, is the sense of affect that you have after watching something like that. You know, it's the, it's the feeling that of dread and, like, unease and unre that you leave the, the theater with. So it's like, man, that messed my head up, you know. And I remember the first time I felt that, with a, like, when I could really, like, understand what I was seeing mm-hmm. was Angel Heart, mm-hmm. right? Like, when I watched Angel Heart, I was thinking I was, like, in high school, and me and my friends were like, totally, it totally messed our heads up. <laughs> we were like, wait, what did we just watch? <laughs> it's a great ending, you know, and it's a problematic film, but it's like, you know, it, it reminded me of this where it's like, whoa, you know, what I, I don't care about this other stuff. I'm feeling for this little girl now who is now dead and skewered by and choked out by her, her doppelganger, right? So that's um, who, who enjoyed doing it, you know? So that's the other thing. Like, she, she almost, like, reveled in the freedom because she had been living with the, the dread of her finding her, you know what I'm saying? So I feel, like, who do you root for? Yeah, that was, that was really well done, well, I think. And then it changes, like, if you look backwards, it changes the kind of dread it was because when you start the film, you think it's the dread of this, like, unknown, that she doesn't know what this thing is. And then when we get to the end, we realize that the dread was really connected to her facing the reality of who she really was and what she had really done. And it's like a completely different kind of dread. Yeah, yeah, which, which is totally, like, symbolically displayed by the slow discoloration of her white clothing when she has on this white bed you know, like this pajama set or whatever and then little by little she becomes colored with the basically the color that is her real name which is red mm-hmm. that's the character's name red and so little by little she becomes the thing that she hates she becomes the, she starts to become you know that shadow person you know which i think is actually really well done too i mean so many different things around symbolism you know another movie i thought about upstairs downstairs <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah. You know, because it's, this is obviously, too, about class, as far as, like, you know, the have and have not. This kind of weird, like, mythology around, like, the mole people, like, people living under caverns and stuff like that. Like, he sets up a really interesting parable. But honestly, when, when Adelaide, when she uses the term, like, once upon a time, it becomes an allegory. So to me, it was like it changes the type of story it is. Once she says once upon a time, all bets are off, because then it becomes a fairy tale. It becomes a, a parable or allegory. And those things don't, they're very much about oral history and about, like, you know, subverting this idea of the technical notions of how stories unfold, even. That I thought was really interesting, too. She was telling us a story, and she utilizes the term shadow. So I think about the idea of, like, well, what casts a shadow? So I start thinking about stuff like the parable of the cave, you know. I, think, mm-hmm. I start thinking about Jungian ideas around how shadows are constructed, you know, with the, you know, as far as, like, how we see ourselves. 
this obviously is about these really, really complex connections with the other. You know, when I think about race in particular, you know, I think a lot about the, I always use the allegory of, or the, or the example of Peter Pan chasing his shadow. Right. But when you meet Peter Pan uh, with Wendy, he comes in through the window in a cartoon and he's chasing his shadow. He's trying to reconnect that shadow. He's trying to tether himself back to the thing that defines him. Because a lot of times we're defined by the things that we aren't, right? And so this idea of like projecting ourselves into this darker space, you know, who do you root for? These things are part of each other. It reminds me also of that, that Star Trek episode <laughs> back <laughs> in the day when Kirk splits himself. Yeah. And so there's one part that's all id and the other part is kind of like more ego and they really need each other to survive. It brings up these interesting ideas about like just the idea of like the self. But then, of course, like politically, you know, when you see the hands across America thing, you're looking at like, oh, this is their colored red. And they almost look like a human border wall. Or is this talking about redlining and section off of space? Are we talking about manifest destiny? Are we talking about nativism? I mean, you know, these different conversations that start to happen when you see how like bodies mark off space, you know, because mm-hmm. it's always a connection between like space and I- identity as well. So, you know, you can look at, you can look at the re- relationship between like the Morlocks and the Eloy from like, you know, the t- first time, the time, time travel yeah. story. So there's, I mean, the time machine story. So there's, there's always these different connections that I think that he's kind of playing out that aren't necessarily like the deepest connections, but they're very complex connections. And I think that people are not ready to, some people weren't ready to grasp those or to work with those. You know, they want to be entertained and say, okay, who are we for? We kill the monster and we leave, right? That's, and he doesn't give you that. And he gives us, and you come and you leave actually with more questions than you have for yes. answers. And that's frustrating to some people, but I love that about the film, too. I want to play a interview bite from Jordan Peele that's from the press kit that Universal presents. And here he talks a little bit about how he got into the idea of doppelgangers. The idea for this movie came from a deep-seated fear in doppelgangers. Um, and I love the doppelganger mythologies and different movies that have dealt with them. And I just desperately wanted to make my offering to uh, that sort of pantheon of, of, of evil double films. Um, I think what really made it come together for me, that, that brought this idea together for me, was this idea that we are our own worst enemy, which uh, is something I feel uh, like we know intrinsically, but it, it is a truth that we tend to bury. We tend to blame the outsider and blame the other. Um, when in, in this movie, uh, the monster has our faces. Jordan Peele talks about how we can be our own worst enemies. And what's what's complicated and interesting about that is the switch that happens with these little girls raises the idea of if that switch never happened, would anyone like ever have been aware of kind of these two worlds? Because it seems like the the real Adelaide knowing what the world above is like, then being in the world below is kind of the catalyst for this rebellion. That's right. And again, it brings up multiple kind of interpretations about where your sympathies and empathy should lie. Yeah, definitely. So I came with this term called, with Stanford Carpenter, called the ethnographic. I think right. kind of talked mm-hmm. about that a little bit, too. One of the tried and true tropes of the Gothic is the doppelganger, the mirror self, the shadow self. The, and sometimes that's actually physical. 
you know, and sometimes it's more philosophical. Like a, cl- a classic example is like Batman and the Joker, for instance. They're really the same person. <laughs> it's just how they kind of go through how they mm-hmm. present themselves. And a lot of times the enemy, so to speak, uh, which brings to, to mind that Jake Gyllenhaal film, Enemy, you know, you're talking about the idea of the mirror self, something that's slightly off kilter. You know, to go back to comics, you look at Bizarro Superman, like, you know, the Bizarro world, this other world that is very similar to ours, but slightly off kilter. So now we're talking about parallel universes and things of that nature. We don't, we don't understand, like, the, uh, the implications of what he was putting forth, but he's, he uses his doppelganger as a, as a way to, as a technology to explore our inner demons, so to speak. And this is something I've been kind of thinking about my own writing. Like, you look at someone like Lovecraft, like when he was writing, uh, he was talking about these external cosmic forces right. where I think a lot of times we're talking about these internal, these internal darknesses that live within inside mankind, you know, and kind of inside man's psyche, which I think in us manifests itself as these twins. These People are calling them clones, but, you know, I'm, I've been trying to not call them clones. I'm like, I'm going to go with what they call them. Instead of shadows, instead of the tethers, we don't understand the nature of their creation. Mm-hmm. Are we generating them into this other universe or what have you? You know, is this underworld like a different dimension? You know, we have no idea. I think at the end of the world, the allegory is the most important thing, that he is talking about these uh, these struggles that we have. And, you know, when, when you're creating the other, the other is a part of us. You know, the other is projected onto a subject, and we objectify the subject. That That's the nature of othering. And then you give all these attributes to that particular uh, other that you've created. Most of the time, they're negative, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you carry around that other with you. I was thinking about the German folktale uh, around Peter Schlemiel. It's about this guy named Peter Schlemiel that sells his, his, his shadow to the devil. And so, you know, people are creeped out by him because he doesn't cast a shadow. And so he ends up being ostracized and treated like he's evil because, you know, what, what are you without your shadow? And that's, that was what well, I was kind of talking about, this uh, mm-hmm. idea of Peter Pan. And uh, his shadow, he's trying to reacquire it so it gives him meaning, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so when I talk about, like, untethering blackness from whiteness, for instance, right? Um, what is whiteness without a shadow? And, or what is man without woman? What is, you know, being straight without, you know, queerness? That, these types of things, these are, 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 are poor and rich. These, these things are intimately connected. And that's why I think I like the term the tethering, you know, because these, these ideas are, play, are, are, are polar opposites of each other but also intertwined with each other. Well, and I wonder if some people who don't like the film or aren't like really embracing it, if part of what Peel's kind of point is, is that we have to stop pointing the finger at something else and we have to start looking inside ourselves to find oh, out yeah. what's wrong, that that is a very difficult kind of thing for a lot of people to be willing to do, to look and say like, okay, these problems don't come from outside. They're coming right. from... They're internal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, is there, and I think that is actually very, more scary than any moth that you can come up with. It's like yeah. dealing with what's in the mirror. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think that's, that's unsettling. That's what makes this a great horror movie. It's a very articulate kind of exploration of human nature. People were like, oh, this is trash, or this is terrible. I was like, I wasn't even scared. I was like, well, then you should really sit with the film <laughs> and think about what it's saying to you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was disturbing. I didn't, you know, <laughs> it was unsettling. And that's horror. That's that's what horror is, you know. Horror is the affect of, you know, you have dread, you have repulsion, which is kind of like the physical reaction to the thing that is terrible, you know, which is a lot of times it's like people are retching and say, oh, what is that smell? That's the repulsion, that's the physical mm-hmm. response. And then you have terror, which is like the fear of bodily harm, right? You know, you're being terrified that, oh, I'm going to cut off your leg. Okay, 
The horror is what happens when the leg gets cut off. Now, Jordan Peele did give his actors a list of 10 films to watch that he said he wanted them to see before they started working on the film. You know, you have a film mm-hmm. like a, a Tale of Two Sisters, which is this Korean yep. horror film. But yep. very clear. It's twins. It's this sense of mirror images and how, yep. you know. It has a supernatural edge to right. it. It a supernatural underpinning, too. Yeah, that's a good movie, actually. <laughs> so. Now, another one that that has some obvious connections is, as we've mentioned, It Follows, which shares the same cinematographer. It's beautifully shot, and your kind of discomfort comes from the contrast between kind of this surface beauty and this horror you're feeling. Right, and the relentlessness of it. That's the yes. other thing, too, is that, you know, whatever it is, it's relentless. <laughs> the other thing, too, is that it's not running after you. It's Steady. So the dread is always at the at the end. That's what makes it follow so great. You know, you're like, wait, what is this? And you're the only person that sees it too. So there's this mental, like, wait a minute, am I really experiencing this? You know, that kind of thing. So that's it. Follows is great. <laughs> that's one of my favorite horror movies of the last decade or so. Yeah, and I I feel like it really is a kindred spirit to us in a lot of ways. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because of the sense of dread and and relentlessness, like you don't really understand the, the machinations of the, the tethered, right. you know what I'm saying? And, and they don't really, t- and they don't talk, you know what I'm saying? They're like, wait, what are you, just like it doesn't talk, you know, whatever it is, <laughs> you know? And also, you don't know if they successfully kill it. Right. It's not a happy ending. <laughs> Another one he mentions is The Babadook. And this oh, is yeah. this is a film, Duke, man. <laughs> which I love because I, being a film critic, I get to see films very early. And so all I knew about it was kind of that it was presented as a film kind of about the boogeyman. And it right. turns out to be something much deeper in that it's really about how do you deal with grief and loss. And so Us seems to have the same quality of seeming to be about a trope, which is, you know, like these doppelgangers are coming after you and it's scary. And then it seems to have a much deeper meaning about something that stays with you kind of no matter what you do. Yeah, no, that's totally true. Um, that, that particular uh, story is brilliant. And this is one of, the, this is one of the, the, the films that I argue with my students about. You know, I teach a class on like race and horror. Mm-hmm. I was talking about the Babadook and the notion of like how monsters are created. So yeah, so the Babadook actually is a really great way to talk about grief. And, and and loss. And so the students are like, well, why, you know, why uh, is the monster still with them? And I was like, well, because you can't ever get rid of grief. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's, right. a, it's a monster that actually is ever-present, so that kind of thing. Well, I know you have to get going. Uh, is there any final words you want to say about the film? I think that it bears a second viewing, especially because of the trick ending. And actually, too, he kind of tells you he's going to play a trick on you. I always think of the rabbit as a trickster, so he kind of shows that up front. And um, I think of the, the, the rabbit as this really, like, really interesting kind of symbol that trickery is happening. And these weird, like, confluences of, of, of you know, things that are happening, like the 11-11, you know, on the clock and the way that that Frisbee aligns itself. That makes me believe that something else outside of science is happening, that there's some kind of supernatural weirdness is happening. And I think that's the other thing, that people can't really wrap their heads around, like, what is the speculative thing that's happening? It's science and maybe the supernatural or something like that. So that's why I don't like the idea of calling them clones, even though they reference that idea. So I think that, yeah, um, this is a film that actually bears multiple viewings, maybe some, you know, some, some research as far as like, you know, how these particular uh, things are kind of interacting off each other. But I like films like that. I love rewatching films. So I was like, I can't wait to see more things. So I want to go back and see it again with the knowledge that the, 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 the two doppelgangers, because they're two doppelgangers, like, what that also begs the question is which one is real? Like which one is the original? That's the other thing. So mm-hmm. that's 
it's a very interesting shell game that he plays with us. Like, I think that he, he does a, a really interesting bait and switch uh, where he says, okay, we have this world that I've built, but that actually isn't the thing that's important. What's really important is the relationship between Adelaide and Red, right? Right. So that's, yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like people have to really kind of sit with what it means to actually deal with the demons inside of ourselves. And I think us, you did a great job of doing it. I want to see it again really, really soon. (laughs) I know. And it's interesting because that's the only pair that knows kind of what's going on to a certain degree. Because the other doppelgangers seem to kill their twins very quickly, like in the house where the the white family is. There's not a hesitation. But when Red comes in, there's almost this like, you need to face me. And and we need to kind of come to terms with a lot of things, whereas yeah, the other yeah. doppelgangers. She wants to have a. She wants to, have a, she wants to understand. Like yeah. there's this. Um, there's a dialogue she wants to have with herself. You know what I'm saying? And and to some degree, that is her undoing. You know, because she wants to have this dialogue. I mean, really, she could have finished her at any given time. Like that, that yeah. ballet martial arts thing that they were doing in the sh- in the hallway great. All right. Well, I'm sorry you have to go, but thank you so much for uh, talking with me about us. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. No, this was my pleasure. That was UC Riverside professor John Jennings. He was recently on the podcast talking about his collective called Scary Black Folks. I urge you to check out that episode to hear more of his ideas about black horror. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cinema Junkie Podcast. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.